again. Um, Today we're in the third week of a series called Lamb's Foundation, Rooted in Faith, Hope, and Love. And what we're doing in this series is what the Bible and Christians for a very long time have called catechesis. Now if you're anything like me, you might have assumed that this word is something only associated with the Catholic Church. We did not use this word growing up in the Baptist Church, and we assumed that it was just a, a Catholic thing. But the word actually comes directly from the Bible. It means to teach or to be taught, uh, but the scriptures use it to describe the foundational elements of our faith. So to be catechized in the Bible is to be taught this body of the foundations of Christian faith. So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke addresses his story of Jesus to a person named Theophilus. And Luke tells Theophilus, I've written these things to you so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And then in Galatians, we're told, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In both cases, this is catechesis. Teaching is a crucial piece of what Jesus expects of the church. Make disciples of all nations, Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. At its best, through history, the church is a place of rich, life-giving teaching that equips us to know, love, and live out our faith in Christ. And catechesis is a main way that the church through history, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, has provided a deep dive into the central non-negotiable elements of Christian faith. So the things that we're talking about in this series are not things that are specific only to our church. They're things that are broadly agreed upon by Christians throughout time and space. So last week we talked about scripture. Because scripture is the foundation for everything that we're talking about. This week, we're talking about the gospel. The gospel. If someone asked you what the Bible is about, what would you say? Elevator pitch. You've got 20 seconds. Go. God. Well, that's just the beginning. (laughs) If it was a child, what would you say? The child's not going to accept just God. No, the, the Bible is this grand, sprawling story that begins at the very beginning with creation itself, and it ends in the future consummation of all things, heaven and earth, reconciled together in Christ. Is there a way of summarizing this massive story that accounts for its first pages, its last pages, and those in between? without at the same time excluding essential pieces to the story. You know, there is a way of summarizing stories that distorts the story, right? Sort of like when you zoom in too close on a picture, everything gets pixelated and you don't know exactly what you're looking at anymore. We can isolate ideas from the Bible and end up distorting the Bible. 
So I, I think this is what happens when things like uh, name it, claim it, or health wealth versions of Christianity pop up. I, I think what's happened in situations like that is statements about prayer and God's blessings have been isolated out from their context and the rest of the biblical story, and they've been developed into entire belief systems, and they read everything through that lens. And any of us can do this. We can distort the Bible by picking things up out of their context and taking them as the predominant mode. But there is this key word or phrase in the biblical story that should be included in any of our conversations. We heard this word in Isaiah chapter 62 that Andrew read. In Isaiah 62, the people of God have been ruled by foreign nations. They have been made into slaves. And the people of God long for him to fulfill his promises to them of conquering evil and of establishing them in peace. Verse 7 imagines this day. Listen to this verse again. How delightful it is to see approaching over the mountains the feet of a messenger who announces peace. A messenger who brings good news, who announces deliverance, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah here is assuring Israel that there will be a day of deliverance. A day when a messenger arrives in Jerusalem and announces God's full and effective reign over the world. Now, the phrase good news is the same one we heard in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1. But the language is different. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. And in Greek, the word for good news is the word gospel. Mark starts his account of Jesus, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he goes on to summarize all of Jesus' preaching. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in him. Now, this word gospel was actually a very dangerous word to use when Jesus and his disciples used it. It was sort of like trying to take a political slogan that's already being used. Now, this isn't a perfect example, but it's as if Bernie Sanders decided, I'm going to start saying, make America great again. Except it was much more dangerous than that. It was as if the other leader could just kill him for saying that slogan. So the Caesars of the day used good news to talk about themselves. They claimed they were the ones who were bringing good news to the world. So there's this amazing inscription that's been found in Western Turkey about Augustus Caesar. Augustus Caesar ruled until about halfway through Jesus's life. And the inscription actually goes back just before Jesus was born. I want you to listen to how similar this inscription sounds to the beginning of Mark's gospel. Listen closely. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And listen closely. The birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world. 
the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world. And Mark starts his gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. He does this in a world where people are proclaiming other things and other people as the good news. By framing his gospel this way, Mark is heralding Jesus as the true king who brings peace to the world and who ends war for good, not a Caesar or any other ruler for that matter. Now, of course, the Christians would say Caesars have their jobs to do, but they only do it well to the extent that they do it under God in service to the true king. So Jesus's message is summarized by Mark as this, repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. What is this good news that Jesus calls on us to believe in? That is the key question. And if we can answer that question, then we will also be able to answer the question from the beginning. How do we summarize this grand and sprawling story that is Scripture? Here is the good news that Jesus calls us to believe in. First, that God is king and he is ruling through Jesus Christ. The reason that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all called Gospels is because the entire life of Christ is the good news. The entire life of Christ is the good news. All that Jesus did and said, to call all four of these Gospels is to say that Jesus himself, the entirety of his acting, teaching, living, dying, and rising, and remaining with us, is the Gospel. This is an important reminder for us. It's not only Jesus' death that is good news, though it is good news. It's not only his resurrection that is good news, though it is good news too. It is everything about Jesus that is good news. Jesus comes into the world as the creator incarnate to set his creation back in order. It has been disjointed, and he comes to make it right. This is why much of the Gospels describe Jesus as having authority over both the natural and the spiritual realms. So Jesus cannot be confined to just heaven or to just earth. He's not merely a spiritual savior who takes souls away from the earth, nor is he a political liberator in the way that we're trained to think in the world. He bridges heaven and earth. He heals those who are oppressed, whether it's by diseases or by the devil himself. And when nature threatens to undo Jesus and his disciples on a stormy sea, he brings peace in it even there. Even the wind and the seas obey him, respond his confounded disciples. Do you know that the Gospels that we have in our Bible are some of the most unusual books ever written in the history of the world? Some of the most unusual literature you can find. They're not biographies, even though they're only about one person. They're not written like many stories about a hero because this hero dies. What category do you put these stories in? The reason they're so unusual is because nothing like this has ever happened or ever will happen again. They seek to convey the humanity and yet the undeniable divinity of a person like they had never seen, the earth had never seen before. 
what is the good news that Jesus is calling us to believe in? He is calling us to believe that God is indeed king over his creation, and he is ruling now through Jesus Christ. And second, he's calling us to believe that Jesus Christ came to redeem and to make things right. And make things right. Did I say make things right? He came to redeem and make things right. This is what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus go to show. That his intent is to bring redemption into our lives and into the creation that he created. And to do this, to make things right, Jesus would have to exercise judgment against death and against evil. Destroying them from the world forever and uniting heaven and earth. He began this work by living a truly human life, by being a faithful Adam, doing what the first human Adam could not do. But then he surrendered his life to death and to the power of human sin, dying under its weight. And finally, he rose from death to conquer death's power and sin's power over our lives. So this is the gospel that Jesus calls us to believe, that God reigns over the world through his son, that he comes to redeem us from our sin and bondage and to redeem the creation itself by making everything right in the creation. And we're not simply asked to believe this, we're actually called on to respond with repentance. Repentance for Jesus, toward Jesus, means turning away from all the other gods that we've given our allegiance to. Fear, money, politics, or some other false sense of control over our lives and over the world. We turn from them, and we follow Christ as king. I was amazed in listening to first, uh, Psalm 139 read, or what was it, Levon Le- 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 read us in. The amazing news of the gospel is that Christ is king, but that as king, he knows each one of us intimately. So there is this very high level of the gospel in which Christ is reigning over the world, but there's an intimate level to the gospel in which he comes near to each one of us with his love, and he shows his kindness and his mercy. We repent. We turn our allegiance away from all these other gods and toward Christ, the true king over the world, who loves us intimately. You see, the reason that our sin is a problem is that when we sin, we're trying to usurp God's authority as king in the world and over our lives. And we end up in sinning, we we distort ourselves and we distort each other. And we distort the creation itself, God's world. We as human beings were created to reign over God's world and to be stewards of it. But in sin, we distort the world in our sin. When we repent and believe in the gospel that Christ is king, he unleashes sin's power over us. And we can begin to carry out our lives under his lordship. Again, doing the work that he's made us to do in the world but doing it in the way that he made us to do it. We receive our commission like Adam received the commission from God. 
be fruitful, multiply. Jesus tells us to go out into the world and to carry on his mission. Now, I want to put a fine point on all of this. For the last several decades, at least, there's been this very good sense of urgency in Christians to want to see other people convert to Christ. But in this sense of urgency, Christians have often minimized the gospel as simply about getting people into heaven. So the gospel has been presented as something like this. God loves you. You're messed up. Jesus died for you. Accept him, and no matter what you do, you can go to heaven. Now, there are parts of that gospel that are absolutely true. God does love you. You are messed up. Jesus did die for you. Those are very true. But this version of the gospel does not call people to a different kind of life in the present. It doesn't invite people into God's kingdom way now, the way that Jesus and his disciples did in their own sharing of the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. This version of the gospel has created people who give lip service to the faith, but who are at best lukewarm in their actual devotion. I love what one writer calls this version of the gospel, a gospel of sin management. Do something about this so that I can get where I need to get later. But let me go on now because I am. A pastor I admired who is now dead, John Stott, said that we have believed in the irreducible minimum gospel. But who wants an irreducible minimum gospel, he asked. Instead, we want everything that is offered to us in the good news of Jesus as king and redeemer. Now, last week we mentioned to you that several of us from LAM are going to be traveling to northern Uganda in a few weeks uh, to explore a partnership with the churches in this diocese. And the mission statement of this diocese is incredible. The whole gospel for the whole person. The whole gospel for the whole person. Christ came to bring his kingship and redemption to bear in all of life. And this is why James, in his epistle, writes this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? James asks. He tells us this is a picture of faith that is dead, a good news that is reduced this too is why when we dream about Lamb's future together, we dream about a place of worship that incorporates more than just worship. We think about a place that incorporates a garden, a farm of some kind, because this we believe is a way of embodying the fullness of the good news of Christ in a way that proclaims the gospel in our culture, in our area. That it bears the fullness that Jesus calls us to share all things with those who are in need, spiritual life and physical life. This is the fullness. Jesus calls us to repent and believe in the good news that God is king in the world and that God as king has come to redeem us and to set us right. To set us right with him 
and to set us right with the earth in which he's made us to exist and to work for his glory. But to do this, we all have to be converted to Christ. This is necessary. So let me ask you, have you responded fully to Christ as king, yourself, as Lord? We all must do this. Are you living in faith and obedience to Christ as king? Because this is what Jesus has invited us to do in the gospel, not to work for his love. Uh, I love what the song said that we sang earlier Turn our strivings into works of praise. This is what God is calling us into. Not to work for his love and his favor, but that our strivings would just flow instead out of his love and his grace toward us. So are you living in relationship with God as your Savior, as your Redeemer? If you're not, then you do need to repent. Christ will return to finally set things right in the world. And when he does, that includes the darkness that is in our lives, especially the parts of us that we've stubbornly held back from him. You want to have already repented before that day. When you meet him and every knee bows before him. You want to have done that before then. Won't you repent if you haven't today? Won't you be converted to Christ and believe in the good news of his kingdom? Now, I asked at the beginning how you would summarize the Bible. The gospel provides our healing. The Bible is the good news that God reigns over the world through Jesus Christ, that he's come to redeem us and to redeem the world and to make all things right. We can shorten this even more with our children. That's okay. The Bible is the good news that Jesus is king and he's come to make everything right. This answer, it honors the first pages of the Bible about creation, God's good and beautiful creation. And it honors the final pages of the Bible of the consummation of all things when heaven and earth are reconciled together again. And it also honors the central work of God in the world through Jesus Christ. Are you living in the fullness of God's will in your life? Are you? Are you delighting in God's redeeming love and are you embodying it as you go out into the world in your vocations, in your home, in your leisure? Christ has come as king. And I love what another writer has said. There is no area of our lives in which he does not say, mine. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.